Today begins a new season. Well, actually, it was this week that we began a new season, and do you all know what it is? NFL football started this week, didn't it? It didn't. First off, let's get this out of the way. I'm really glad to see you all here today because today is the first Chargers home regular season game. Game time's 105, so you're going to have plenty of time to go to lunch, drive home, turn on the TV. But let's talk about those five other Sundays between now and January 3rd. You know the ones I'm talking about? The ones where the game starts at 10 a.m. I just need to offer this friendly reminder. That's why DVRs and recorders were created. You set the game to record. When you get in the car, you turn the radio off. You don't go to a restaurant. Then you go home and you watch it. You can skip commercials. You can skip all the bad plays the other side makes. But let's remember, there's five of those Sundays. Set your DVR. Seriously, we all know it's great that we have this hometown team to support, and we hope we're saying the same thing next year. We've got the Chargers, we've got the Padres. For some of you, I know you're fans of San Diego State, and I know there's plenty of other teams represented in this room today. Perhaps a sports team isn't your thing. Perhaps you're a fan, though, of individuals. Maybe you're a fan of Serena Williams, who had such hope this week at the U.S. Open of, of winning that Grand Slam. Maybe you're the fan of a singer, an entertainer. Maybe you're even a fan of a politician. A fan, when we look at that definition, it's an enthusiastic supporter, usually of a sports team or an entertainer, person or a group. If you're a fan of a sports team, you probably have their T-shirt, a jersey. Colby had his on today. Your car might have that license plate holder or bumper sticker. You might even have those flags that go flipping that show you're a Charger fan. If you're a fan of a singer, you probably have their CD. Their songs are on your playlist. A fan usually keeps very well informed of what their person or their team is doing. They usually know where they're going to be, and they hope for a chance to meet them. But there's one thing about fans. Fans, their numbers usually drop when the team isn't successful or a person isn't popular anymore. If something better comes along, a lot of fans will jump ship to that winning team or the latest fad. When we think about Jesus, when he walked the earth, he had a lot of fans and for very, very good reason. When he traveled, he had performed many miracles. He had healed a blind man. He had fed thousands with a few fish and a few loaves. And he had even raised Lazarus from the dead. Everywhere he went, a crowd appeared on the seashore, in fields. Even in today's scripture, at the beginning, he's talking to the disciples alone. But then all of a sudden, there's a crowd in our scripture. Yet Jesus, when he walked this earth, he wasn't looking for fans. He wasn't looking for fans in biblical times, and the same goes today. Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. Jesus is looking for followers 
And this passage offers all the requirements of being a follower. This passage is known as a hinge or a pivot scripture. It occurs midway through the Gospel of Mark. The public ministry in Galilee is essentially finished. That was the first part of Mark. Jesus is called and he's taught his disciples. He's shared his teaching with other people and he's, he's done amazing things, miracles. From this point on in the Gospel, the action is directed towards Jerusalem. The text is the opening of the Gospel section on discipleship. Jesus has already set forth the way for Christians and now he defines the way for his followers. Today's passage, it's at the heart of being a follower of Jesus and what discipleship means. Jesus and his disciples, they're on the way to Caesarea Philippi. It's located in the northmost part of the Sea of Galilee. And from this point on in the gospel, this is a story about that journey on foot to Jerusalem. On the way in this journey, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And considering the response that they give, we can assume that people have been talking about him. They've been talking about his identity. And we know so because the disciples, quick, they have an answer. They're saying, you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're a prophet. The critical question is the one that Jesus then poses to the disciples. But who do you say I am? Peter is speaking for all the disciples when he answers the Messiah, making it clear that the disciples, they differ from the crowds. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus blesses Peter for this confession. But in today's reading from the Gospel of Mark, Jesus neither confirms or denies. He only charges them to be silent. For Mark, Jesus as Messiah cannot be properly understood prior to the Passion. So Messiah, it can't properly be applied to Jesus at this point. After the cross and the resurrection, the disciples can proclaim it. But this, at this point of the journey, they have no understanding of what is to come or the meaning of what is to come. For the disciples and the people, the arrival of the Messiah, it's been anticipated. The Messiah is the one they've waited for to right all the wrongs. The one they've waited for to free the people of Israel from all the tyranny they've experienced. They've waited for this Messiah to come with triumphant power, power that he would liberate the people. A new beginning occurs in this narrative when Jesus begins to teach of his passion. Until this point, all the teachings have been on the power and the authority of Jesus, but now the teaching changes. It changes to rejection and death, he teaches that the Son of Man, the Son of Man, will undergo great sufferings. He'll be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. 
He teaches that, at, that the Son of Man will be killed and in three days will rise again. This isn't what the disciples or Peter wanted to hear. So Peter, out of love, out of concern, he takes Jesus to the side and he begins to rebuke him. He reprimands Jesus. For Peter, a suffering Messiah isn't right. And it goes against any preconception they have of a Messiah. Peter doesn't view a Messiah as one who will encounter suffering, who will encounter rejection or even death. For Peter, the title Messiah, it excludes all those things. Peter's answer isn't necessarily wrong. The problem with his answer is that it's an earthly answer. Peter is speaking from an authority that he does not hold. The disciples aren't there to guide or protect or even possess Jesus. The disciples are there strictly to follow. And with that answer that Peter gave, Jesus then rebukes Peter, and he calls him Satan, Satan the tempter. Jesus explains that Peter's mind is set on human things, not divine things. So then Jesus brings the crowds together and the disciples, and he begins to teach them what it means to follow a suffering Messiah, what it really means about following a divine Messiah, not an earthly one. He gives instructions on discipleship and on suffering. The followers are first warned they have to deny themselves. They have to take up the cross and they have to follow Jesus. The call to self-denial and cross-bearing, it belongs with the description of the fate of Jesus. Self-denial implies, implies the rejection of setting your mind on human things. Cross-bearing has been described as a voluntary activity where decisions are made and strategies taken that may create opposition. The intent of people taking up the cross isn't facing unpredictable tragedies such as illness or loss. Cross-bearing isn't disagreement for whatever reason. Cross-bearing is obedience. Cross-bearing is obedience that completely identifies it identifies us with Christ. Cross-bearing is about discipline, hard work, obedience, and commitment. The heart of this teaching is on discipleship. It's on following the Messiah. Self-denial and bearing cross, it leads us in to following the Messiah. Following the Messiah is setting yourself your sights, setting your sights on divine things, not on earthly things. Following Jesus is imitating Christ in our daily life. That invitation is always before us. The invitation is to not be a fan, but to be a follower. <coughs> now, being an earthly fan of something isn't bad. We can be fans of a team or an individual, 
But we're in a, when we're a fan of something, usually all we do is we watch and we listen. We cheer or we moan. But little is really asked of us when you're a fan. As fans today, we're not asked to take our place on the Charger defensive line against the Detroit Lions. We're not asked to replace our favorite actor in a theatrical production. But Jesus invites us to be more than fans, more than just waiting in the darkness on Christmas Eve for the light to come, more than just lining that path for the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus asked more from us than just standing at the empty tomb in amazement. Jesus invites us to deny ourselves and to take up the cross, to take on an obedience that identifies us completely with Christ in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts, in all of our deeds. Denying yourself is giving yourself for others in Christ's name. When we take up the cross, it's a load that we never, ever, ever bear alone. Following Christ, the burden of the cross, is really no burden at all. Ours is the command to follow Jesus and to look beyond earthly and to see the divine and to follow the Messiah and to set our minds on heavenly things. May we be strengthened for the task before us to follow the Messiah. Amen.